Finding God in Unexpected Places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I'm Jason Elam. I'm so grateful to have you with us again this week. Hey, before we get into the episode today, I want to ask you to do me three quick favors, if you please. Number one, would you please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast? By hitting the subscribe button, you help us book great guests for the future. You see, often when a guest is considering coming on the podcast, they'll check out our subscriber numbers to see if it's a good use of their time. So by hitting that subscribe button, you're helping us book great guests for future episodes. Number two, if you will rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it, that helps spread the word about the Messy Spirituality Podcast and get it in front of new eyes and to new ears. Finally, I want to invite you to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes. When you support us there, you help us produce the best sounding podcast that we can, but also it unlocks some rewards for you. Like you'll get the episodes one week early before they're released to the general public. So you'll get exclusive early access to each and every episode just by becoming a Patreon supporter for $1 or more per month. You'll also get a free copy of my book when it releases later this year. And I'm really excited about that. And I hope you will be too. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes. And I'd appreciate it so much. And now here's this week's episode. My guest today is Todd Vick. Todd is a former Southern Baptist pastor, an author, an award-winning freelance writer. He is happily married to Laura. They have four adult children, two dogs, a bunny, a dove, and a granddaughter on the way. Todd Vick, welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm really excited that you're here with me today. Uh, Thank you for sending me an advanced copy of your book. I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to talking about renewing your mind today. Uh, tell us, before we get into the book and, and the theme of your book, tell us about your spiritual upbringing. What were you raised to believe? Well, my, my spiritual journey started in a little town in Wisconsin um, when I, where I lived as a boy. I would ask my parents a question about God, and they would say, well, you're Lutheran. And I would say, okay. Uh, so that was my spiritual upbringing for the first part of my life was I'm, I'm Lutheran. I had no idea what that meant or, or anything. Then uh, our family moved to South Carolina, and I got involved uh, with uh, a, a church in my teenage years, and that's where I really began to discover uh, about having a relationship with Jesus and um, his acceptance of me and my acceptance of him, and it just kind of went from there. Uh, but I was kind of just raised to believe, you know, I'm a Lutheran, and whatever that means, whatever that meant. I don't even think we went to a Lutheran church, maybe once for a wedding when I was a boy. Um, but definitely, uh, it, it planted some seeds because I, I was not, I'm, I'm usually not content, uh, with the answers that I'm given. I usually have to dig further. So I did. Um, and I wondered, does God see me? Does he know I'm here? Uh, does he see me when I do good things? Does he see me when I'm naughty? Um, and, and it just kind of blossomed from that over the years that, that, um, you know, I just realized that God is, is very personal and, and very much in love with me and, uh, very accepting of me. And the Bible even says he delights, uh, dances around wildly at the thought of me, which is hard to picture sometimes, uh, but it's, it's, it's there, and I believe it. I'd kind of like to see that, wouldn't you? Absolutely. <laughs> the, the Zephaniah 317 God? Absolutely, yeah. At what point did you start discerning a call to ministry, and how did that come to you? I was 16 years old, and I was very involved in our local church um, in the youth group. 
And pretty much any time church was going on, I made it a point to, to get there because I just enjoyed the, the community and the people that we were around and, and learning and growing. And one night I asked um, our pastor for a ride home. And he said, I'll be glad to take you home, but we got to make one stop. So we stopped to visit a family and spent a little bit of time there. And while we were in that visit, uh, I just sensed God speaking to me that, yes, Todd, you're going to be doing this one day. Um, and I was very excited about that, uh, about being called into the ministry. So I went back and I spoke with my pastor and he was, um, he's very old school and he was a great man though, but um, you know, his, his belief on that was, well, you need to go to four years of college and then three years of seminary. And so my thought was, wow, I've got like two more years of high school. And then I'm not even sure if I'm going to go to college. Um, but you know, the, the prospect of seven years of school just did not appeal to me. So I, I took a pass on that calling. And then uh, a few years later, I was uh, a young adult and we were sitting in a revival service, uh, that was being conducted by Rick Stanley, who is Elvis Presley's half brother. Uh, he turned into a, a minister and evangelist, you know, over over the course of his life and uh, powerful testimony. But uh, while he was doing his thing, I felt that that pang in my heart again that God is saying, "Hey, you you're you're going to be doing that one day. You're going to be up on the platform sharing the gospel." Um, and so I went to uh, my pastor again, and it was the same deal: four years of college, three years of seminary. Uh, so again, I took a pass on that. And then sometime in uh, around May of 1995, I was a, a, a husband, a father of one. We had uh, twins on the way, and I got that calling again. Um, and it was like it was different this time. It was like this this is the last call. And I was very familiar from my youth what last call meant. Um, but this time there was just something urgent about it that I had to respond. And I realized after you know much introspection that I, I couldn't wait any longer. I had to go ahead and do this or it was going to eat me alive. Uh, and so I made the commitment right then and there uh, to follow uh, this path that God had laid out for me. Ended up going to Bible college, um, finished that in three years, and I'm still doing the seminary thing off and on as I can. You know, now 30 years later, you know, what a, what a, what a trip it's been. <laughs> you know, some people come through 30 years of ministry with uh, a lot of damage and a lot of horror stories. Was that your experience or was it uh, better for you than that? Lots of damage, absolutely. Um, and and there were, you know, to be fair, there were a lot of great things that happened, a lot of great people that I met along the way. Uh, but there were some some real damages inflicted that, um, I mean, I still struggle with them sometimes. I'm trying to continue to grow and evolve and renew my mind and forgive and all of that. It's kind of a daily process. But yeah, it, it, the, the scars are there, definitely. Did you struggle with um, the performance mentality, the people-pleasing side of ministry? Yeah, that is my personality pretty much. I like to, I like to be in, in front of people, and I like for people to like me, and um, I like for them to be pleased with what I'm doing. So anytime I'd preach a sermon, people would say, oh, that was just a great message, and it really spoke to me. I would just feel so good about that. Um, but then if I went five minutes past 12, it was a different story. <laughs> But yeah, they're, they're, you know, I, I was very much into that as well. I've had to kind of surrender that through the years, but uh, that was a big part of me. Many of us go through a renovation of the heart in which some foundational beliefs begin to shift. Did that happen to you? And if so, how did it change your faith? We, my wife and I were involved with a, a church, local church, and we uh, really liked it there. The pastor was somebody that I went to uh, college with and uh, was neighbors with his brother. So there was a deep connection there. Uh, and just loved, we loved the church. We loved being there. And they brought in 
um, one of the pastor's brothers to do uh, an overview of how to have a counseling ministry uh, in your church. And so we, we did that on a Friday night and a Saturday to the afternoon and, and learned a lot of stuff. But one of the things that I came away with uh, was they kept mentioning the book, The Shack, and how we needed to read it. Um, and I'm not much for fiction reading. I do like it occasionally. But I, I went and picked up The Shack at the library, and I read it in two days, and it absolutely undid. It, it just unraveled my faith. Everything that I had believed up to that point uh, was just coming unraveled as I read the conversations that the author, uh, you know, Paul Young had with, with God and how he translated that into a fiction story. And a lot of people won't read the shack because, you know, the evangelical police have said there's nothing theologically sound in any of the book. And that's probably true, but it is a fiction book, but still it, it just really made me think is everything that I believe in God, is it working for me? Because it seemed to me that it wasn't because in my, in my ministry career, I'd been through divorce. I had been asked to leave a church. Um, you know, an outcast in my community. I've, I've been through all of that. And I just wondered, you know, is, is, am I doing something wrong? Is this, is this the wrong kind of thing? Um, and then when I read the shack, it was like, wow, I, I, I just never thought of it that way before. And it kind of unraveled my, uh, the foundation of everything that I believed up to that point. Was it the relationship between the McKenzie character, which is basically Paul Young, um, was it the relationship between the McKenzie character and Papa that kind of undid it for you? Or was there some other aspect of the book? Yeah, the Papa thing really did it for me. I, I didn't have much of a, a father growing up. And so I've always had trouble relating to God as a father. But it turns out that the Bible actually you know, speaks of God as both father and mother. In Isaiah, there's a couple of verses that, that, that do that. And so once I got past that, because I've always been very close to my mom, so that was a lot easier to grasp dealing with God as, as, as a mother, as well as a father. But you know, that, that, that helped me through that process as well, but their relationship was amazing. So what were the ramifications of that undoing of the foundations of your faith when you came to see God as, as maybe more like Papa in the shack, how did that play itself out in your ministry and your life? It really began to mess things up. Um, cause after I read the shack, I did another no, no. And I read Rob Bell's book, love wins. Okay. Yeah. And that, uh, and that was really the beginning of the end for, for old Todd just opened my eyes to grace like never before. And then of course I read a book by Steve McVeigh, uh, years before that called grace walk. And that, at that time, that was exactly what I needed. I was a minister carrying the world on my shoulders, and I just realized I don't have to do this. I don't have to be this. You know, there's grace, and it, and there's a lot of it. And so I was able to get through that. And that was just that was the book that kind of started it. And then later, I read The Shack, and then Love Wins, and um, books by Rachel Held Evans, and I just really began to look at things a lot differently. Yeah, Rachel's work has certainly impacted so many of us, and uh, obviously, we remain grieving the loss of this bright light in the world as we record this today in prayer for her family, especially her husband and children. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine. Todd, you've written a wonderful book entitled The Renewing of Your Mind. Why did you decide to write on that subject? And how does the renewing of your mind fit into this whole deconstruction process we're talking about today? Very long story. Um, I, I've toyed with the idea of writing a book for um, a long time. And then, I, of course, struggled with my own inner voices. You know, nobody's going to want to read it. Nobody's going to care what you have to say. So I put it off and I put it off. And then after I, I sort of went through a, a divorce and went through just a crash and burn in ministry, 
And then I began to recover from that. Things began to, you know, get put back together. And I was ministering again on, on staff at a church and decided to write a novel about my experience with a pastor going through divorce. And I wrote about 17,000 words. And then I just stopped. I just like, I, I just can't write this. This is not what, what's in me. To, and and me, this is not what I need to write. And so I kind of did some research and reading, just kind of, you know, trying to discover what it is that I had to say, if I had anything to say at all. And I began to listen to books on tape. And Jim Rohn, uh, the great business philosopher, was a was a big mainstay in that. And and you know how he uses simple things that if you just change your thoughts about something, it can really change your outcomes. And so I wanted to dig more into that. And I came across another book by a man named John Asaraf, who is a New York Times bestselling author of Having It All. And I read that book in, in just a two three days. And there was so much information in there about the human brain that I never knew before. And I, to keep in mind, I'm kind of a scientific nerd, so I didn't know that much about the brain. And so I just kept learning. And I read a book by Dr. Steven Pinker from Harvard, uh, How the Mind Works. And while I was doing all of that reading, I was leading a Bible study at my, my last church, the last church I pastored in, based on Romans 12, 2, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so as I was leading this study... I was being changed in the process, and, and I was beginning to see that there's a lot in my mind that needs to be dealt with. And so that was uh, that was my journey, and it lasted about three years. And then I just started writing and writing and writing, kept sharing. And before I knew it, I had an entire book full of, of stuff based on uh, the experiences that I've had, based on some scientific information, uh, based on some scripture verses. Uh, there's just a lot of it in there, a lot of stuff that, that kind of I felt like it was just kind of being thrown together at first, but through editing and all that, we've been able to make some sense out of it. But uh, that's kind of where that where that started was just a, a desire to to think differently about things because I had I had bad attitudes about different things like driving, for example. If I'm driving and somebody cuts in front of me, I used to get really upset by stuff like that. But now it doesn't doesn't bother me as much. Uh, there's there's still moments, but it takes a lot to upset me on the highway now. But yeah, that's kind of where it all started. It was about three years ago. Leading a Bible study, learning for that, trying to bring better material to the to the Wednesday night crowd at church, and it just went went crazy in me. In your understanding, how does the process of renewing our mind work? I think it's three steps, basically three steps. The first step is just a choice. You have to choose to say, you know what, I want to learn how to think differently. I want to think better thoughts. The thoughts that I've been thinking, I'm a loser, I'm no good, everybody hates me, this has gotten me nowhere. So I'm, I'm on the hunt for better thoughts. And you just got to make that decision. And the, the word decision from Latin is very powerful. It means to just completely cut off. And so when you make a decision, you're completely cutting off everything that's you know, all the voices in your head and everything that are trying to talk you out of it and go forward with your decision. That decision just begins with a, a choice and a desire to, to think better thoughts. And then comes the, the hard part, and that's the confrontation of your old thoughts. You've got to start really examining everything that you think and believe. And then you have to try to, well, you don't have to, but it's, it's good to try and figure out where all these thoughts came from. And in, in doing that with my life, I realized that a lot of the attitude and thoughts that I had today had a lot to do with my biological father and the and the, the very poor relationship that we had and the, the things that he did really made an impact and, and they get stuck in our minds and there's some scientific terms for that kind of thing that I point out in the book I won't I won't bother with on this podcast but um, but yeah you got to confront those old thoughts and you just got to say okay you know and it took me a while 
took me a couple of years to really get through the process of examining everything I believe. And, and does, is, does this really matter? Is it really true? Just because everybody says it's true, does that make it true? Uh, again, I'm a questioner. And then once you confront the thoughts, then there's the collection of new thoughts. You start reading new things, learning new things. For me, it was you know, just kind of branching out to things like yoga. Uh, yoga breathing, for example, is a big thing in my life right now. If I'm find myself getting stressed out about something, I'll just stop and start breathing slowly in and out. And then uh, energy, you know, people talk about energy. Everybody thinks, oh, energy, new age, crazy person, but really not. Uh, there's a lot of scientific information out there about energy vibrations and things. So I was just learning all of this stuff, the, the different laws of the universe. I studied the law of attraction, which unfortunately, like so many other things tend to be in America, we, we it's become more about money. You know, if you think about a lot of money, you're going to get a lot of money. That's the law of attraction, but there's so much more than that. Uh, it's not just about money. It's about outcomes. You you want your life to be better. You've got to start seeing it that way. you got to start thinking about it that way. And, of course, that's in the Bible, too. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. So you, you've got to kind of see it. We like to see things to believe in order to believe them, and we have to learn to believe things in order that they can later be seen. I, I think I said that right, but that you know it just comes with learning new things. And for me, I was just very curious and uh, studied <clears throat> different religions and and things like that. What is God's part in the process of renewing our mind, and what is our role? God is our creator, our savior. He's our equipper. He created us in His image, or she created us in her image, however you want to look at it. But we, we were created and we were given a free will. We were given a brain. We were given a heart. And so God has given us everything that we need. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He says in, in the prodigal son story, everything I have is yours. So we're not lacking anything as far as God is concerned. He's given us everything that we need to learn, to grow and evolve. And then it just becomes our responsibility to do those things, to learn. To grow. I used to tell my parishioners when I preach on something, I, I would always say, don't take my word for it. Look this stuff up and read it for yourself. And, and that's just what we've got to do. We've got to, we've got to learn. We've got to learn to see things uh, through our unique perspective that God also gave us. He made us all unique. He made us all very individual. I have twin daughters. They're not identical twins, but they're, they're completely two different people. Even if they were identical twins, they'd still be two completely different human beings. And everybody's unique. Everybody has their own unique fingerprints that nobody else has had in the history of mankind. And, and God has given us all that. And we have, to, uh, we have to do our part by going through the process of learning, going through the process of growing. It's not always easy. We need to go through the process of evolving. I think it was Muhammad Ali that said, if you're the same man at 50 than you were, that you were at 20, then something is seriously, seriously wrong with that picture. And if, you know, if we're not growing, if we're not evolving, then something is is really something really has to happen for that. And there are so many antiquated beliefs that we hang on to in the church, in small communities, things like prejudice and political bents and religious bents. And we've just got to we've got to confront those things and make sure that what we're saying is not the byproduct of what somebody else told us to say, but it's something that we actually learned on our own. And I think that's that's where that comes in. You mentioned earlier some ideas that you had about God that were really rooted in your relationship with your own father. Mm -hmm. Were those hard for you to let go of? Or was that something that was just a huge relief to you as soon as it happened when God opened your eyes? Both. It was, it was very hard to let go of that um, because for years and years I carried so much bitterness towards him. I mean, it really, 
messed me up physically, emotionally, mentally. And once I was able to confront those things through therapy as well as prayer and you know seeking God and medication uh, in, in my case, you know through all of that, I was able to finally put this whole thing behind. And I even uh, he passed away several years ago and I went up to uh, Wisconsin where he's buried and I sat at his graveside and I just I spilled my heart and I forgave him for everything, every every hurt, every pain, every disappointment. I, I just laid it all out right there and I let it. What did that do for you? When you were there at his graveside and pouring all that out, what did that do for you in the aftermath? That that was a tremendous weight lifted, and that's understating it quite a bit. But just the freedom from that, when we're when we don't forgive someone, we kind of keep them in a prison, but we also kind of keep ourselves in, in somewhat of a torturous prison. And it you know it really gets to us. And I, I can't prove this scientifically, but I, I personally believe that a lot of the reason why a lot of us are on uh, anxiety medications and things like that is because we just we need to look at who we have not forgiven in our lives and maybe that could be a, a big part of it and, and that certainly was a big part of it for me forgiving him letting all that go changed my life what are some common obstacles to the kind of transformation that you're describing in your book the biggest one i, I think is going to be pride especially you know the people that i uh, went to school with and, and grew up with and, and became friends with in the ministry and, and through churches through the years uh, they all believe this one thing and I'm starting to see that, hey, there's a little bit more to that. And as I try to share that, uh, I'm usually like, hmm, you can't, yeah, you can't say that. That's not true. You know better than that. And what it is is pride. I've, I've thought this and I've believed this for years and I'm not going to change it. And that's one thing. Another thing is fear. You know, what's going to happen to me? And I went through this a lot because I was a very staunch fundamentalist and I was you know, taught to be that way in college and seminary. And so when I started thinking thoughts that didn't quite link up to what I had always believed, I got kind of scared. You know, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm doing something bad here? You know, I felt like I'm hiding from from God, you know, thinking these thoughts. And it's like, what, is he mad at me or is he going to let me come out and be okay? So fear is a big one. And of course, ego, a lot of people won't change just because I am who I am. That's all that I'm going to be. And I, I have great pity on that because there's so much knowledge out there to be gained, uh, so much to understand, so much to learn. I don't even know if we have the capacity to understand it all. But we have the capacity to understand and learn a lot more than we're doing, I think, as, as human beings, learning how to work together. And, and, and we, we've completely forgotten community and things like that that really matter. But that, those are big obstacles, probably the biggest ones I can imagine. Pride, fear, ego, contentment, just, you know, I like where I'm at now and I'm not going to move. And, and, you know, and, this, and the funny thing is God loves all of us that way. He, you know, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. Uh, God still loves us. And I'm, I'm not here telling you that if you don't start doing things my way, you're going to be miserable. No, I'm just telling my story. This is what happened to me. And, and if it can help anybody, that's great. I'm not looking for followers. I'm not looking to start a movement. I'm just looking for, you know, like this, conversations with people about the things that, that uh, have been revealed to me and the things that have been re revealed to you. And uh, when we share our mutual stories, we create a bigger and better story. And I think that should be our goal. Is the transformation you described continuous? Is it a one-time occurrence or does it happen in phases? I prefer to believe it's continuous because knowledge changes, information changes constantly, especially in the age that we live in now. And so uh, definitely it's an ongoing transformation. And I think we, we might even go through phases where we get more transformed than, than others. But I think just every day it's, it's, uh, it's important for us to practice thinking the thoughts that have, have helped us and, and benefited us and given us better outcomes in our life. Uh, instead of thinking, I'm a loser, you're thinking, I'm a winner. Instead of 
you know, thinking nobody likes me. You start thinking, well, God likes me and everybody else would just have to catch up or something like that. But once you start thinking the better thoughts and you start doing that every day. And for me, it was, it was, I had to write it on index cards. I had to post it on post-its. Um, I had to, you know, just put them everywhere to remind myself uh, the things that I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around to renew my mind uh, to a, a better way of thinking about myself and about life and about ministry and about um, people, about the church, about God. Uh, all of that is just part of the whole renewal process. And, and for me, you know, writing the book was the result of a big phase where God really just poured it on. For others, it may be just a slow process, and I may not get another revelation like that for years and years. I may never write another book again, may ne- never have anything to say again. But, you know, right now, this is what this is what God's been doing. And I just wanted to you know, share that for, with others. If anybody wants to ask questions or have a conversation about it, I'm happy by that. But if people want to reject that, I'm, I'm okay with that too. What are the objectives uh, in renewing our mind? What are the practical benefits? What should be the fruit of a renewed mind? I believe uh, the fruits of the spirit primarily, uh, joy, peace, patience, tenderness, gentleness, self-control. These, these are just the, the beginning of, of what we can experience if we renew our mind and, and release the negative thoughts, release the bitterness, release the poison uh, that's in our lives. And once we start doing that, we start to see a more peaceful existence with ourselves. Early on in this process, I caught myself whistling, which I don't remember that I've done in a very long time. I was just happy. I was peaceful and I'm, I'm whistling and life is good. And, um, and that was just that was an amazing revelation to myself. Hey, I'm whistling. I'm happy. This is this is great. And for years as a pastor, especially, I struggled with this whole idea of uh, getting up at 4 a.m. to read your Bible and spend time with God. I tried that once and I fell asleep immediately. <laughs> Me too. I tried it a second time. And one of my uh, one of my little girls came down and wanted to sit in my lap. So I you know, put everything aside and gave my attention to her, of course, and just little things like that. And, and I struggled with reading my Bible every day. It's like, do I have to read it every day? But now I can't wait to read it. I, I pick it up and I read through. I'm not, you know, doing it to get a sermon. I'm just kind of doing it for, for my own refreshing. Uh, but I'm doing it every day. I, I, I just didn't even realize I'm without even thinking about it. I'm just picking up the Bible and I'm spending time in prayer and I'm listening to, uh, you know, today's Christian music, which I, I really didn't do for a long, long time. So I'm, I'm just finding more joy in life, more peace, more confidence in God, confidence in who he's created me to be and the voice that he's given me. I don't, uh, for years, you know, I struggle with, I, if I want to be a better pastor, I need to be more like him or her. But now it's just like, I don't have to be anybody but me. And that's, that's, that's enough. That's good enough for God uh, because that's what he created. And so I just think there's a lot of emotional benefits. I think there's a lot of physical benefits too, because if you're constantly thinking negative thoughts about yourself, about the world, it begins to weigh on you physically, creating situations like high blood pressure or even diabetes. Things happen to our bodies when we're when we're sad all the time. There's like a fight or flight mode that it goes in. And as our body does that, it just creates stress. It, it, it prevents all the good stuff from flowing like dopamine and, and things like that. And, and once we renew our minds and learn to be peaceful and learn to to experience life with a smile. And, 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 and it's not, there's a side note to that. I'm not saying that we're happy all the time. Life still comes at us, 
But when it comes at us, we're more equipped to be okay with it. I mean, just this week, my wife and I had a little thing that we were praying about to get through as a little financial hurdle. And we came through it with flying colors. God provided and we took care of it. But, you know, during the process, it was it was different this time. It wasn't like, oh, God, you brought me this far just to have me sh- you know, shut down by this. And uh, nobody's going to read my book. Nobody likes me. God doesn't love me. It, it wasn't anything like that. It was, okay, God, you said you would take care of this. And I'm going to believe that you're going to take care of it. I'm looking for that to happen. And it happened. It doesn't always work perfectly like that. Sometimes it takes a little longer. Sometimes God will wait till the very last minute as he did in our situation. But, uh, but you know, he's always on time. And, and as long as we keep from freaking out like that, it will do our bodies and our minds a lot of good. Freaking out causes so much stress. But when you're able to have peace uh, and contentment and you're just okay, that this situation is going to work itself out like it always does. You always have what you need for the day. We, we tend to get stuck on thinking about what am I going to do this month? What am I going to do next month? Today, you've got everything you need. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, not our monthly bread, not our weekly bread, not our yearly bread, just our daily bread. He, he always gives us what we need for the day. And if we stop focusing on the big picture, just start focusing on what's in front of us, uh, renewing our mind that, you know, thinking about the future, while it can be practical and helpful at times, it can also get the best of us and turn us into stress freaks and caffeinated people. And, and it's, you know, there's it's just, just a lot of, lot of practical benefits of renewing our mind, thinking better thoughts, having better conversations, not being stuck in the negative so much. That peace that you describe, these fruits of the Spirit, it makes so much of a difference in our lives. What difference has it made in your relationships to just be at peace with yourself and at peace with God? That's a very good question. I, for, for the longest time, and I still struggle with it some, but always intimidated by others. Even if there's people that I've known my whole life, people I should be comfortable with, I'm always having this thought in the back of my head that they're so much better than you are. They're so much more than you. They've acquired so much more than you have. They stayed with their job longer than you did. They've been married to the same person for 25 years. And, and I've, I've had, you know, for years that little battle inside my mind that this person's always going to be better than you. This person's better than you. This person does what you can't. And the renewing of the mind, you know, part of my process was really confronting those thoughts and asking myself why. And, it, you know, again, I traced it all the way back to my relationship with my father. You know, now that that's taken care of, I'm a lot more, I don't want to say confident in front of people, but relaxed. Um, I, I'm not sitting here thinking how everybody's better than me. I'm just enjoying the presence of others, which is something I had not been able to do for a long, long time. Just being in a room of people, not feeling like they were all going to turn on me. You know, it's, it's, it, it has its, it really benefits me in that way. Well, Todd, I'm so grateful for your book. I love this book so much. And I know you're still looking for a publisher. Is that correct? It's uh, going to be published um, hopefully hopefully by the end of June. Oh, great. We should have uh, going to go into press by then. I've still got some editing and things to do, but we're getting close and it's very exciting. Well, I'm very excited about that. And when you uh, get that ready for publication, once it's released, let us know and we'll update everybody on our social media pages and here on the podcast as well. How can our listeners connect with you online, Todd? I have uh, I'm Todd Vick on Facebook. There's a website, www.toddrvick.com. That's my personal blog. They can connect through there. And then Todd R. Vick at Instagram and Twitter, same things. But yeah, I can, I'm, I can be reached on social media. Todd, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for this book. And I hope all of our listeners will get it when it comes out. Well, Jason, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.